Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling this week. We are off the heels of WrestleMania Backlash on Raw, and SmackDown will basically be uh, the aftermath of what happened on Backlash. And without further ado, let's start off with show, and let's start off with Monday Night Raw. We have an RK Bro in-ring promo to start off Raw. They recap that they lost at Backlash to the Bloodline, but Randy does say that they might have lost the battle, but they will win the war. Randy does point out that it was supposed to be the RK Bro going against the Usos to unify the tag team titles, but Roman stuck his nose in their business, which ended up making it a six-man tag match. Riddle say that they are going to SmackDown to talk to Roman to get him to accept their challenge to go against the Usos since the Usos needs Roman's approval for everything and they will become the unified champions once they have that matchup. The Street Profits would then come out and interrupt them. The Street Profits will let RK-Bro know that they shouldn't be so worried about the Usos because tonight they have to worry about the Street Profits because they are going to go against them for the Raw Tag Team Championships and the Street Profits are planning on beating RK-Bro. So we get that matchup next and what happens is the RK bro would win the match to retain their raw tag team championships when Montez Ford would jump off the top turnbuckle for a frog splash but Riddle would catch Montez in the air and hit an RKO on him then cover him for the win this was a nice tag team matchup to start off raw because you know what Street Profits can do you know what RK bro can do these two teams have constantly wrestled each other so many times in the in the in the WWE on Monday Night Raw and this was just another match for them. To me, I think WWE is finding like ways for Riddle just to hit the RKO now. I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. I think that's exactly where we're going with this. I think we're leading up to Riddle getting more of a vicious side because it seems to me that it just has been a one-way partnership with RK-Bro. Randy has been becoming more of a friendlier, nicer guy in this partnership with Riddle. We haven't seen much of a vicious side Riddle, but once Riddle did hit that RKO and he pinned Montez and he got up, you saw the camera like look at Riddle and he showed off a much more angrier side once he got the win. And I thought, okay, we're starting to see uh, traces of Randy leached onto Riddle. So I think we're starting to see Riddle now getting the effects of that meaner, nastier streak of Orton of old instead of Orton of new now. So again, this is levels and layers to this RKO partnership. But again, nice tag matchup to start off Monday Night Raw. After this, we would get Judgment Day coming down to the ring. Judgment Day consists of Edge as the leader, Damian Priest, and their newly acquired uh, apprentice or disciple, Rhea Ripley. Edge says that they came together because they were tired of being sheeps like the rest of the audience. He says that nobody could touch them. Edge says that he has basically had surgery on every part of his body and that the fans didn't care and they don't care about nobody but themselves. Edge calls them lemons and all this type of stuff. Yet again, name calling. He would then give the mic to Rhea. Rhea gives her reasoning for why she joined Judgment Day. She says that this was the easiest decision she's ever made. Rhea mentions that she's tired of being used and mentions how she's tired of signing autographs for kids and seeing that same autograph on eBay. So Rhea is now a bad guy or bad girl in this instance. 
Edge would follow up and mention how Priest and Rhea were directionless, and that's where he comes in. He's here to steer them in the right way. Edge says when he looks at Rhea, he sees a juggernaut that was content with being in the slow lane instead of wrecking everybody in his in her way. And Edge mentions that he talked to Rhea a few weeks ago and told her that Liv was holding her down. So Edge takes credit for breaking up the tag team of Rhea and Liv. Edge would finish off by saying that Judgment Day isn't over. They aren't finished with recruiting people and they are looking for more. And once Edge says this, you get Liv Morgan to come down to the ring and Liv is coming down to face Rhea Ripley in their matchup. So we get Liv Morgan going against Rhea Ripley, who has Edge and Priest in her corner. Rhea would win the match by submission when Rhea would lock in the inverted Texas Cloverleaf on Liv Morgan and Liv would tap out. After the match, Edge and Priest would get in the ring congratulating Rhea and then you would see Edge look at Liv and then he looks back at Rhea and he nods her head to Rhea to basically finish off Liv and Rhea goes back to lock in the submission hold on Liv and Liv would tap on the mat mercilessly and edge would even drop down and mock live morgan tapping and he will mock and tap like next to live morgan in pain and all this type of stuff so then you would see like smoke hitting the entrance ramp and edge and priest are not paying attention to this and live still has the submission hold on her and then you hear finn balor's music hits and he comes out he does his whole entrance and then he stops at the entrance way and you see AJ's music hits. AJ comes out. Him and Finn hit the two sweet. And you see that they're getting ready for Finn to go against Priest in their matchup next. So that's what we get next. You get Finn going against Priest with Finn having AJ in his corner. And Priest still having Edge and Rhea Ripley in, her, in uh, his corner. Finn would win the match by disqualification when Finn sends Priest to the outside of the ring. And Finn was looking to jump over the top rope. Rhea would push Priest out of the way, stopping Finn in his tracks before he could jump out of the ring. And this would allow Edge to slide in the ring and hit a spear on Finn, making the referee call for the bell. After the match, Edge would get attacked by AJ Styles when AJ would run into the ring and double leg take down Edge to the mat and start punching him. Priest would get in the ring and start attacking AJ, and AJ would hold his own and beat him on Priest until Rhea grabs AJ by the shoulders and turns him. AJ will have to stop himself because he has his fist up and he was about to strike, but he sees Rhea and he can't punch a girl. He tells her that she needs to quit this. Edge will then grab AJ from behind and throw him into the ring post, and then Priest will grab AJ, and Edge and Priest will hit their spear leg sweep tag team maneuver on AJ, and they will leave AJ Styles and Finn Balor on the mat lane. So Judgment Day has one up still on AJ and Finn Balor. I still can't rock with the whole spear and leg sweep tag team move. I really can't because that just don't seem right to me. But I probably got to see it more times and I'll probably be like, all right, this is one of those moves that we just got to deal with. But I like Judgment Day forming. And I like it. Edge said that AO, we're not done. We're still looking for people. So that tells you that we're going to get more people in this group of Edge leading this big, uh, I would say under appreciated talent group because again priest he was on a good run as you uh united states champion from SummerSlam all the way to the beginning of this year he had a great run as united states champion he would defend it all the time and all this good stuff and then when he lost it it just became like we had nothing for priest he would just be like the guy to just be on the like raw from time to time and sometimes he wouldn't be and priest was really directionless 
then you get Rhea. She was really directionless. She was supposed to be on Raw being this dominant force, like Edge said, this juggernaut, but she hasn't. She's been more of a sidekick tag team competitor and not being a main monster that she should be. So I'm glad to see Edge take these two underneath his wings, and we're going to see what Judgment Day has, and I would like to see who Edge and or Judgment Day gets applied into this group of underutilized talent. After this, we would get VIP segment of MVP and Omos standing in the ring, and MVP talks about how Omos beat Lashley at Backlash. In MVP's gloating, he would mention how without him, there was no almighty Bobby Lashley. It's just Lashley. MVP would again mention that Lashley head got too big and that he left MVP at home watching WrestleMania when Lashley went against Omos. MVP would then go to sing the praises of Omos. Then Cedric Alexander would come out and make his way towards the ring. MVP and Omos will have a confused look on their faces to why Cedric is out here. Cedric makes it sound like he had something to do with Omos beating Lashley, talking about how he put in some of the work and how Omos basically just uh, took care of the dirty work at Backlash, how he helped him with it, yada, yada, yada. MVP tells Cedric, hey, listen, I like you, and that's the reason why... I, I'm allowing you to even come out here, but don't ever interrupt me again. And as soon as he says this, Lashley would then make his way down to the ring. And he would destroy MVP's security guards who were surrounding the ring. Cedric would try to help out and destroy Lashley, but Lashley would catch Cedric jumping off the ring apron and throw him into the ring barrier. You would then see Lashley get in the ring and clothesline Omos to the outside of the ring. And now it's just Lashley and MVP in the ring. It looks like Lashley's going to get his hands on MVP, but Cedric would get back in the ring and jump on Lashley's back and try to apply a sleeper hold. This would allow MVP to leave the ring, and Lashley would flip Cedric off his back, and he would just stare at MVP and start destroying the set of the VIP lounge. Cedric, again, would try to attack Lashley from uh from behind, but he would fail miserably because he would jump off the ropes and... Lashley would catch him in midair and lock in the hurt lock until Cedric passes out. And that's the end of this segment. Later in the night, we would see Lashley in a backstage situation, and he mentions that he wants Omos next week inside a steel cage. And that will happen next week on Raw. It will be Lashley versus Omos inside of a steel cage. After this, we would get Sonya Deville going against a mystery opponent because Adam Pearce would come out and let Sonya know that the higher-ups have concluded their investigation of Sonya's conduct as a WWE official, and they have decided to terminate her as an official. But she is still under contract as a wrestler, so then you will see Adam introduce a returning Alexa Bliss, who Sonya Deville will be facing right now. Alexa would win the match by pinfall when she hits a DDT, then go to the top turnbuckle and hit the Twisted Bliss, which is a turning sideways splash well, body splash for the win. After the match, you will see Ezekiel come down to the ring, who is supposed to have a match with, get this, Kevin Owens' older brother, Ken Owens. Ken Owens is actually Kevin Owens, but with gray hair, uh, dye in his beard, and a gray wig. Uh, Kevin Owens comes out with the gray hair and dye in his beard and the gray hair. You see, uh, you hear Byron Saxton and Jimmy Smith, like, say, oh, come on, you can't be serious. Corey Graves is digging this whole thing. He is saying, this is Ken Owens. I mean, he's really going with this whole thing. And the match never happens, okay? Because you see Kevin and uh, Ezekiel trade of words. 
Kevin's starting to lose his calm. And he says this whole thing is ridiculous. And said that Ezekiel is actually Elias. He yells and acts like Kevin Owens. And, but remember, he's still under the Ken Owens disguise. Ezekiel will then tell uh, Kevin that, Ayo, you shouldn't be yelling like this because your brother Kevin wouldn't like that. And Ken then will take off the wig to expose himself as Kevin Owens. Ezekiel will have a shocked look on his face, and Kevin Owens will still continue to yell at Ezekiel about how you're really Elias, and I don't know how you fake the te- uh, lie detector test, all these things. And eventually... Ezekiel says that he wished Elias was here so he could play Kevin Owens a lullaby to calm him down. Kevin Owens will take offense to this, attack Ezekiel, and then you see Alpha Academy come down to help out Kevin Owens to beat down on Ezekiel. They will then hold up Ezekiel so Kevin Owens can hit the stunner and leave Ezekiel laying on the ground. I at least gotta admit, I can't do this whole segment justice because that at least was entertaining. Go to WWE's YouTube page. It's there. You got to scroll down a little bit because by the time you listen to this, this is be a Saturday. And when you see it, it's going to be on their uh, raw segments of their YouTube show. But again, it was actually entertaining. If you could watch it, I beg of you to watch it. It was actually entertaining. This is actually one portion of the entertainment of the WWE that they actually did nail right. Throughout this whole uh, promo, not promo, but throughout this whole feud between Kevin Owens and Ezekiel, it has been at least entertaining. After this, we would get Veer Mahan going against a Frank Loman, who's actually Rex Lawless. That's his independent name on the Independence in the Northeast. That's where he gets booked a lot. Veer would beat him by submission when he locks in the clavicle clutch, and Frank would tap out. This time after the match, Veer doesn't beat up on him. He doesn't beat up on his opponent, well, the enhancement talent this time, because, well, he just stands outside of the ring and just poses, and then he just leaves. This was shocking to me because every other time that Veer has had a match, he's always attacked his opponents after the match. So I think we're finally getting away from him beating up on his opponents after the match, and we're just going to just leave his work behind in the ring after it's done. I think we're past the point of him beating up opponents after the match. I think that's where we're at with this. After this, we would get a United States Championship matchup. Theory going against Cody Rhodes. Cody would win the match, but by disqualification. Because Cody would hit the disaster kick, which is a springboard kick, then the Cody cutter on Theory, and Cody was looking to hit the crossroads on Theory, but Seth Rollins would attack Cody from behind, making the referee call for the bell. After the match, Seth would beat up on Cody on the outside of the ring. Seth would clear the announcer's table and start bouncing Cody's head on the table, and then finally hit Cody with the curb stomp on the announce table. Seth would jump off the announce table and yell at Cody, and he's grabbing Cody's face and tell him, you aren't going to take anything away from me again. Never again do you understand me. So again, we're starting to see the unraveling of Seth Rollins because remember, Seth lives in the spotlight, and he feels that Cody is back here to take the spotlight away from him. So Seth doesn't like this, and again, we're starting to see another layer of the unraveling of Seth Rollins, and personally, I dig it. I feel that we're going to get Cody versus Seth inside Hell in a Cell, and I think we're going to get blood from both of these two men. That's why I think we're leading to this. After this, we have Sasha Banks and Naomi going against Nikki A.S.H. and Dewdrop. Naomi and Sasha would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finish. Ren is due, which is an assisted codebreaker, on Nikki A.S.H. for the win. 
After the match, Dewdrop would chastise Nikki about not tagging her in when she asked for it. She asked Nikki, when are you going to take this seriously? And then you hear the Miz's music hit, and Miz comes out in a referee shirt for the next match. And the next match was Mustafa Ali going against Ciampa. Miz is a special referee for this match. Ciampa would win the match by pinfall when Ali would hit Ciampa with a springboard tornado DDT. Ali would pin Ciampa, and it takes some time for Miz to make the count because, remember, Miz doesn't like Ali, and Ali doesn't like the Miz, so you could expect a whole lot of slow counting, and that's what happens. He would get to count only up to two before Ciampa would kick out of an extremely slow count. Ali would get into Miz's face and say that he would want to punch him, but Ciampa would grab Ali and hit a reverse DDT and then pin Ali, and Miz would do a very quick fast count to the three and give Ciampa the win. So this is a continuation of the Miz and Mustafa Ali. I don't know where this is going to lead into. Personally, I don't. I know we're going to get Ali going against the Miz sometime down the line, but I don't know if this is going to lead to Ali winning the United States Championship from theory, or this is just basically Ali got to pay some penance for being out of the WWE bubble for that time and basically airing out his transgressions to the WWE Universe on Twitter a couple months ago. I don't know what they're doing with Ali with this situation, but he's getting some airtime and hopefully he does win the United States Championship. That's at least in my personal opinion. I hope that's where they were building up to this. Now time for the main event. First time ever matchup. Bianca Belair will be going against Asuka. And we have Becky Lynch on commentary for the matchup. Bianca would win the match by disqualification. When Becky would grab Bianca by the arms when Bianca was doing a uh, handspring off the ropes. Becky would grab Bianca, grab her out of the ring, and then throw her into the steel steps. And then Becky would get in the ring, kick Asuka in the face, and then hit the manhandle slam, which is the rock bottom on Asuka, and then leave the ring, and that's how Raw ends. So, this shows you that Becky is aiming towards Asuka and Bianca because she wins, wants back the Raw Women's Championship, and she also wants to get back at Asuka for humiliating her two weeks ago. So, I see probably at what Hell in a Cell, a triple threat match, Bianca going against Asuka, going against um, Becky Lynch, and I probably might see... Bianca winning, but we'll see if that happens. And that is your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw. Now to NXT. NXT will open up with an NXT Women's Tag Team Championship matchup. JC, Jane, and Gigi Dolan, a toxic attraction, will be defending their titles against Roxanne Perez and Wendy Chu. Gigi and JC did have Mandy in their corner, and Mandy would come into play once... Uh, towards the end of the match because JC and Gigi would win the match by pinfall thanks to Mandy uh, interfering in the match towards the end. Once Roxanne was on the top turnbuckle, Mandy got in the ring and grabbed Gigi to check to see if she was okay. The referee would try to yell at Mandy to get out of the ring, but Roxanne would jump off the top turnbuckle and try to hit Gigi and Mandy, but they would duck and Roxanne would land on their feet in the middle of the ring. And then you see Wendy Chu get in the ring and tackle uh, Mandy to the mat. And now the referee's looking at both Mandy and Wendy uh, fighting in the ring. And you will see Roxanne grab Gigi and try to hit her with the code red, which is a sunset uh, flip powerbomb. But JC would super kick Roxanne, and then this will allow Gigi to pin Roxanne for the win. So that's how Gigi and JC will retain their NXT Women's Tag Team Championship. After the match, Wendy would attack both Gigi and JC, 
But Mandy would hit her in the back with the NXT Women's Championship. Then you would see Toxic Attraction beat up on Wendy and leave her laying in the middle of the ring as they hold up the NXT Women's Tag Team and Women's Singles Championship because Toxic Attraction holds all the gold. And this shows a clear message that nobody so far in the women's division can stop them. After this, we would get Diamond Mind in their Diamond Mind gym. Roderick Strong is hitting the punching dummy, and we see the Creed brothers walk up to him. They talk to Roddy about how they aren't happy about how the way they beat the Viking Raiders last week because Roddy interfered and basically gave them the win. Roddy says that, A, only thing that matters is the win, and that's all that matters. The Creeds let Roddy know that they will be wrestling the Viking Raiders next week, and they will beat them the right way without Roddy's help. Roddy's excited about this, so he decides to tell the Creed brothers, listen, I'm glad to hear that you guys want to take some initiative and fight the Viking Raiders again. That's cool. That's fine. But I want to introduce to you guys a new member of the Diamond Mine, somebody that I feel that will fit perfectly in it. And they he introduces Damien Kemp, who is Gabe Stevenson's brother. So now we have Damien Kemp inside the Diamond Mine, and the Creed brothers don't look too happy that Roddy has basically recruited somebody else into the group because Julius lets Roddy know that we're supposed to be a group. And in this group, we decide who joins in by a vote. Roddy tells him that's the old way that we used to do it, but under this new leadership, whatever I say goes. So the Creed brothers aren't happy about it, but they're going to roll with it. After this, we will see Joe Gacy and two mystery figures go to the ring for Joe Gacy's in-ring promo. We would get Joe Gacy explaining that the two men in this ring have separated themselves from the rest of the locker room and joined him on his mission to change the NXT for the better. And Joe says that his expansion has only begun and it starts one person at a time. Joe would then call for Braun Breaker to join his movement because affliction and hardship awaits those who resist his message. So Joe Gacy wants Braun Breaker to join him on his mission to help change NXT for the better. I don't think so. They say next week we're going to get Braun Breaker's answer to Joe Gacy's uh, extending of the olive branch, but I don't think Braun Breaker's going to go for it. Personally, I think Braun's going to try to beat up on Joe and the two mystery figures because last week after NXT was over, we would see another figure come into the ring and hit Braun Breaker behind the back with a steel chair, and the two mystery figures that Joe Gacy has with him will hit a... A uh, high-level DDT on Braun, and then they will stretch your Braun Breaker out of the ring. So Braun is more or less going to try to get revenge on Joe Gacy and the two mysterious figures probably next week in his uh, addressal of the Olive Branch. After this, we will have our first match of the NXT Women's Breakout Tournament Qualifying Matchups. It is Fallon Henley going against Sloane Jacobs. Fallon would win the match by pinfall when she hits the Shining Wizard, which is a running side knee strike to the head for the win. Fallon would advance to the semifinals. After this, we would see Tony D'Angelo's crew abduct, basically kidnap, uh, Cruz Del Toro, who's formerly known as Raul Mendoza of Legado del Fantasma, because Legado did the same thing to I.J. Galanti, who was a part of Tony's crew last week on NXT. Later in the night, we would see the rest of Legato walk up to their car where Cruz was supposed to be, and they see he isn't there. Santos knows exactly who does this, and he makes a call to Tony. Santos tells Tony that he needs to let go of Cruz. Tony tells Santos that he needs to let go of Galante, and that next week they will handle their 
uh, handle their problems like men. Santos agrees to this and tells Tony to screw you and hangs up the phone. So we will get our match next week on NXT. Tony D'Angelo going against Santos Escobar. Again, this whole thing is coming out of a whole movie TV series right now, the way that they're uh, handling this Tony D'Angelo, Santos Escobar situation. Tony being the new Don of NXT and Santos being like uh, the older, wiser boss of a wrestling uh, empire or a empire that's been around so long that knows the way of the game. This is a whole television, like, soap opera, not even soap opera, but television storyline for these two. And right now, I'm actually enjoying it because you know what? We get to see Santos and Tony, two guys that, well, Santos, he's been building up as one of the guys that NXT could just... Ev- like easily put into the main event picture or even go into the main roster. That's the way that they treat Santos and Tony needs that uh, more experience underneath his belt. So him working with Santos is helping them build more experience as well. So I'm not too mad at this uh, storyline. These two are in, I just want to see how they're going to do their match next week. After this, we would get Ariana Miller going against Abba fire, formerly known as Kaylee Ray. Abba will win the match by pinfall when Abba hits a firebomb, a.k.a. a gory bomb, and then go to the top turnbuckle and hit a swanton bomb for the win. So they gave Miller a lot of offense in this matchup with fire. I didn't expect that to happen, but I was cool with it because Miller got uh, took out two months ago with a concussion, so the fans needed to see what uh, Miller could do and remind them of what she could do. So I was happy to see that they actually gave her some offense in this matchup, but the ending conclusion was going to be the same. I think everybody knew that uh, fire was going to win the matchup without a doubt. After this, we had a in-ring promo from Solo Sokoa. We saw Solo moments earlier, lock out uh, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. And he mentions that in this uh, promo that he says, and he, Starts off with it by saying that this time was reserved for Carmelo, but he took it because now it's his time. So lets it be known that he has next. It doesn't matter if it's Grimes or Carmelo Hayes, whoever wins their matchup, that he will be going against them for the NXT North American Championship. Cameron Grimes will come out and let Solo know that at In Your House, it will be Grimes versus Melo. And when he beats Solo, he has a shot at the NXT North American Championship. He wants to shake Solo's hand. Solo looks at him and nods his head, and then he walks out of the ring. You will then see Mello and Trick attack Grimes from behind, and you see them put the boost to him, and you see Solo just constantly walk back up the ramp. He's not turning his head around, and he's talking to himself, and I'm pretty sure you can hear that uh, Grimes is getting his butt beat. You see Trick open up a steel chair and put... Grimes head in between the chair and you see Melo get to the top turnbuckle and he makes the slit throat uh, gesture and he looks like he's about to jump off and try to do something to Grimes but then you see his eyes get wider and turn his head because now you have an indication that Solo ran back into the ring and uh, Melo jumped off the turnbuckle and as soon as he does this Solo would hit him in the throat with a chop and then you see Solo super kick Trick Williams, and you see both Melo and Trick roll out of the ring. You see Solo extend his arm out, and he helps Grimes to his feet, and then Grimes will push Solo off of him. 
Solo would then pick up the North American Championship. Grimes would grab it out of his hands. And now you see the fans just start chanting for Solo just by saying, Oos, Oos, Oos. Because Solo Sokoa is the brother of the Usos. And fans are fully behind Solo Sokoa. They are not behind Cameron Grimes at all. I mean, at all, at all. They are booing him. They said they were chanting that he got lucky. I'm not understanding where this hate is coming from for Cameron Grimes. I don't understand it at all. I still haven't figured it out. But, hey, man, this is just part of the NXT situation. Whenever they rock with you, they rock with you. Whenever they don't, they don't. And I think it's perfect timing for Cameron Grimes to probably do some shysty whenever he gets his match with Solo Sokoa, and that'll turn Cameron Grimes into this uh, prick, maybe. I can see him being a prick because he took the title away from uh, Solo so quickly that I can see him being a pricky guy, especially him still being with the whole money uh, character that he's on, that he has this whole uh, whole lot of money situation. I can see him like paying people off to beat up on Solo next, if they want to go that route, which they should. After this, we get a mixed tag team matchup. Tiffany Stratton and Grayson Waller going against Andre Chase and Saray, and they have Bodie Hayward in their corner. Andre and Saray would win the match by pinfall thanks to an air horn distraction by Bodie Hayward. Once Tiffany would hit Saray with her twisting body splash and pin pinner, you see Bodie blow an air horn into the referee's ear and that will stop the reference count. Tiffany would jump out of the ring onto Bodie, and then once she got back in the ring, Saray would roll her up for the win, and that was it. Great mixed tag team matchup. You got to see uh, Grayson Waller be Grayson Waller, and you got to see Saray dropkick Grayson Waller in the face, which the fans cheered for a lot, and they cheered for whenever Saray pinned up uh, Tiffany for the win. So there's no more need to be said about that. After this, we had our next... Uh, NXT breakout tournament qualifying matchup. It was Ariana Grace going against Nikita Lions. Nikita will win the match by pinfall when she hits Grace with a German suplex, then follow it up with a roundhouse kick to the face, then jumping split to cover Grace for the win. So Nikita has advanced and she will be going against Fallon Henley in the semifinals of the breakout tournament. And that's not happening, I believe, until another two weeks. After this, we get the main event of NXT. Natalia going against Core Jade. Natalia will win the match by submission when Natalia would work on the legs of Cora and then eventually lock in the sharpshooter and try to make Cora tap out. Cora would reach, well, try to reach for the bottom rope, but Natalia would always bring her back into the middle of the rope and apply more pressure on the sharpshooter, and Cora would eventually pass out, and that would make the referee call for the bell. After the match, the ref would tell Natalia that Cora didn't tap out, and Natalia would just look at Cora and ask her, did she tap out? And Cora would shake her head no. Natalia would then extend her hand out to Cora, and Cora would take it, and you see Natalia bring Cora up to her feet and hug her in the middle of the ring, and you see Natalia say something in Cora's ear, but you don't know what she says, and that's how NXT ends with Natalia just basically embracing Cora Jade. I was cool with the main event. I thought we were going to get like a longer rivalry out of Cora and Natalia. It seems like they're ending it here. And if they do, I'm cool with it. And also, I don't know if anybody else noticed this or not. This was all women's like NXT like matchups here. I mean, sure, the guys were here for like what one matchup for the mixed tag team matchup. But literally this whole 
show was literally the women's, and I was happy for it because wrestling fans have basically been getting at WWE and AEW for not showcasing the women a lot, and they've been working on that for the past weeks. In this episode, of NXT really proved that AO, we've heard what you said, and we're gonna put the women's front and center as much as we can when we're when we do it. And once we do it, you guys can't complain about it no more. Or and if you do, you can't complain about it as much as you guys do. And this shows you right here that the higher-ups of WWE are paying attention to what you guys are saying on the internet. So if you guys do have a problem with something, just be loud with it for constantly. And if it's within reason, the companies actually do hear you and they will change up their style. And if you don't believe me, just check out what NXT has done this week. Check out what Rampage and uh, Dynamite has been doing. Check out what SmackDown and Raw have been doing. They've been showcasing the women a lot more. So, hey, if you complain within reason, Trust me, the big companies do hear you and they take uh they will change their motto of what they're doing. So again, that was NXT for this week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will be hailing from Long Island, New York. That is important to say for certain key aspects of the night, and I'll break that down when I get to them. But AEW Dynamite will start out with an Owen Hart Foundation tournament quarterfinals matchup between Dax Harwood, representing FTR, and Adam Cole, who is the leader of the Undisputed Elite. Adam Cole would win the match by submission when Adam Cole will lock in the sharpshooter on Dax, and Dax would try to hold out as much as he could before he eventually taps out. So now Adam Cole does advance to the quarter, well, to the semifinals of the Owen Hart tournament for the men. Um, this was a good match between the two. If I were to have the pencil and made this tournament, I would have put them in the finals. Literally, Dax would have dominated one side of the tournament. Cole would have dominated one side of the tournament, and they would have met in the finals. And I would have had Dax gone over and beat Adam Cole off the strength of this alone. Dax Harwood is a self-admitted Bret Hart guy. Him. Uh, Cash and CM Punk are three guys that have, will praise the work of Bret Hart every time you get them to ask who are the favorite wrestlers in the world, okay? Dax is the only one of those three that are in this tournament. Adam Cole is a self-professed Shawn Michaels guy, and Shawn Michaels was the rival of Bret Hart for the longest time of uh, Bret's career. More uh, significant towards Brett's later years in the WWE before he left to go to WCW due to the Montreal screw job. So you had a Shawn Michaels guy going against a Bret Hart guy in an Owen Hart Foundation tournament. I would have had Dax win. Dax should have won because he represents the Hart family and it just would have made sense. It would have been a feel-good moment for a Bret Hart guy to win an Owen Hart tournament. It would have been great, but we got a Shawn Michaels guy and even in one point of the match, you saw Adam Cole tuning up the band. And for people that don't know and don't watch uh, wrestling that you're listening to this, or if you don't know Shawn Michaels' work, whenever Shawn Michaels or the the wordage tuning up the band is whenever Shawn Michaels would go to the corner, stomp his foot on the mat to let the fans know that he's about to hit the super kick. Adam Cole did that in this, and that got the fans the booing Adam Cole. And even the commentary would uh, play around with that by saying that this is the ultimate disrespect, which technically it was, but then ultimately a Shawn Michaels guy beating a Bret Hart guy with a sharpshooter was the ultimate disrespect. But these two had a good match for me. I just wish Dax would have went over and beat Cole and he would have advanced and probably even won a whole tournament, but we will see what happens later on in this tournament 
um, after this, we would get CM Punk going against John Silver, and Adam Page was on commentary for this matchup. CM Punk will come out in a hockey uh, jersey. It will be the Islanders jersey, and apparently, I did my, well, looked on Twitter, and the jersey that he wore was of a guy that was on the Islanders, and now he got traded, or he signed a contract to the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, so the crowd was booing Punk. Punk is not a good guy in Long Island because of Punk's rivalry that he had with MGF and that still harbors over to today. Punk is viewed as a villain over there, so the fans booed Punk as soon as he came out. Punk had the people cut his music, and you heard the fans boom, and Punk just embraced in the boos as he went against the hometown boy of John Silver, who was representing uh, the Dark Order. Punk is the ultimate troll, and MGF is good, but Punk is completely way better. Because Punk would win the match by pinfall when Punk would look at Adam Page on commentary and just stare at him. And you as a fan didn't know what was going on, but you saw Punk on the ring apron and you're like, no, he's not. Punk would hit the buckshot lariat, which is Adam Page's finish on John Silver to win the match. And after the match, you saw Hangman Page get off the commentary table looking incredibly pissed as he walks down to the ring to meet Punk face-to-face, and here's the audio clip of what Punk would say to Hangman once he got in the ring. Are you mad, Hangman? You're taking this a little personal. Last week, you also said you weren't going to shake my hand, that you were going to destroy me. And whether you like it or not, at the end of the night, double or nothing, you will shake my hand, whether you're conscious or unconscious. So once Punk is done saying all that, Punk extends his hand out, and Hangman decides to flip Punk the bird, and then walk out of the ring. This, again, is to build up their matchup at Double or Nothing for the AEW World Championship, as Hangman is the champion and Punk is the challenger, and this is Punk's first AEW Championship matchup since he's been in AEW almost a year now. And, again, the whole thing that I've been complaining about, that a lot of people have complained about online, is that Punk's not Punk, but Hangman's like reign as champion has been real lackluster. And hopefully with Punk being the little f- match that he is, because he can make everybody better that he's in the ring with, hopefully this match will light a big fire under Hangman and also AEW like creative to give Hangman some time uh, after his rivalry with Punk, whether he's champion or not, more the less if he is champion, to build him up as a uh, credible champion and give him more time in the ring and more time on the mic because when you're world champion, you need to be on television a lot. That's how it's been in professional wrestling and AEW has had that before, but with Hangman, it just seems that they're doing it real differently. So hopefully they get to adjust that after their whole Punk and uh, Hangman situation at Double or Nothing. After this, we would get Dan Housen going against Tony Nese with Mark Sterling in Tony Nese's corner. This is Dan Housen's first match on AEW period, whether it's on Rampage or Dynamite any or Elevation or anything else. This is Dan Housen's first matchup, and Tony Nese would beat Dan Housen real quick when Dan Housen was going to curse Tony Nese, do his whole like arms in the air about to curse him. Uh, Mark Sterling would get on the ring apron and distract Dan Housen. This would allow Tony Nese to run over, hit Dan Housen with a forearm, knocking Dan Housen onto the bottom uh, cor- corner turnbuckle, and then Tony Nese would run over, hit a running knee to Dan Housen's face, pin him, win the match. After the match, Mark got in the ring and told everyone that Tony Nese was going to destroy your 
favorite internet meme wrestlers and told Tony Nice to hit Danhausen again. Nice would do it again, and then you will see Nice about to do it again, but this time he exposes his uh, knee, taking off his uh, knee pad and exposing his knee, and this time he's about to run over and hit Danhausen again, but this time with his exposed knee. Hook's music would hit. Hook would walk down to the ring, and Tony Nese and Mark Sterling would leave out of the ring because they don't want no part of Hook because Hook is this unstoppable force so far in AEW. So as Mark and Tony are leaving the ring and they're walking up the ramp, Dan Housen would get up. He extends his hand out to Hook to shake it. Hook will look at Dan Housen and look at the fans. The fans will be cheering for it. And Hook will shake Dan Housen's hand. So now we have at least a partnership between Dan Housen and Hook. And they do announce that at double or nothing on the buy-in, it will be Tony Nese and Mark Sterling going against Dan Housen and Hook. I will be watching that because personally, I want to see what Hook is going to do with Tony Nese. After this, we would get the contract signing between MGF and Warlow. Warlow comes out with handcuffs on. The security guard still uh, following him as he gets in the ring and he sits down. And now it's time for the hometown boy, MGF, that comes out. And before he comes out, we get a video package of... Dark Side of the Ring, and if you don't know what Dark Side of the Ring is, it's basically a show on Vice TV talking about the dark stories of professional wrestling. They had one on Crispin Wall, one on Owen Hart's death, and multiple other stories, and we think that, okay, we're about to see a trailer for Dark Side of the Ring somehow just pop up on AEW. No, it is a spoof of MJF spoofing Dark Side of the Ring. You had Chris Jericho narrating it, you had Taz uh, Jake the Snake and also Barry Horowitz talking about how MGF got turned on by Warlow at uh, Revolution in his biggest match against Punk. So we get that whole thing done. That's it. That whole video package gets played. MJF's music hits. The fans go crazy. You hear people just cheering for MJF because they are in MJF's uh, hometown of Long Island. MJF comes out in a Islanders jersey, but this time it has MJF on the back. And he's playing into it. He's running over to fans, shake not shaking their hands, but like giving them fist bumps and letting the fans like uh, touch him. Like he's putting his back against the guardrails to like feel the embrace from the fans. And I mean, MGF is just loved in Long Island. He's really playing up to it. Um, once MGF get into the ring, he would straight up turn into the MJF show. I mean, he wouldn't let Warlow get not a bit Edgeworth in because. He told the fans, listen, I don't want you guys to boo Warlow or anything like that, but we got to give him a Long Islanders uh, welcome. So here's what I want you guys to do. Anytime Warlow says anything or he's about to get up, I do not want you guys to boo him. I do not want you guys to do none of that. And he's giving them like a wink at the fans as he's saying it to like tell them boo the crap out of Warlow. So Warlow will get the mic and he the fans would boo him religiously, just constantly boom and boom and boom. MJF asks the fans, so you guys don't want to hear from Warlow? They boo him. And MJF says, well, all right, they don't want to hear from you, so all right, let me go about it. So MJF then uh, goes on, and here's a little bit what MJF has to say to Warlow, by the way. Now let's talk conditions, buddy. Let's be honest here, right? We're all being honest, right, Long Island? Warlow? You're kind of the worst. And karma is coming your way when it comes to these conditions for everything you did back in the day 
to my best friend, the American roller coaster, Cody Rhodes. Guys, you don't want me to talk about 2024? That's funny, neither does the guy in the back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. MJF is really leaning into what the internet knows. And for people that don't know, MJF has constantly been talking about 2024. And that's when his contract is up. So that's what he meant by, oh, yeah, the guy in the back don't want me to talk about it neither. He's talking about Tony Khan because MJF has constantly mentioned that once his contract is up, he's going to go to wherever the most, the place that pay him more. So he's right now trying to get a bidding war to start between uh, Tony Khan and WWE. And let me say this right now. If he does leave, I don't know what AEW is going to do. They still have enough time to build up another bad guy to the level of MGF. They still got Punk there, so they can really turn Punk into a bad guy too, and so that'll bring people back. But MGF is their biggest bad guy commodity on television. He gets a lot of people talking about him. He gets a lot of people tweeting about him. He is one of those numbers guys that people will like to see on their television screen and the business business will like to have. So AEW needs to figure out either A, if you don't want to keep MJF, yo, you guys need to start putting other top bad guys around or start building other bad guys. And if you do want to keep MJF around, just give him a number. Just have that number ready in your head for whenever his contract is literally about to end or somewhere close to it and just throw it out to him. And if he doesn't like it, hey, you do what you do. You let him be there and fill out the rest of his contract and then send him about his way. Or you just try to make it worth his while to make him stay. That's just my advice for AEW. Anyway, getting back to the point. Uh, Cody Rhodes is a vital point of this because MGF remembers that he brought Warlow around whenever Cody was around. So he gives Warlow the exact same conditions that he gave Cody. He has to take 10 lashes to the back. And that happens next week on Dynamite. And he has to be in a steel cage match. But this time, it will be going against Sean Spears. And the special guest referee for that matchup will be Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And if he does that and he beats all that, he'll get his match with MJF at double or nothing. And the conditions for that is, if he wins, he'll be freed of his contract. But if he loses to MJF at double or nothing, he cannot sign any contract with AEW. Warlow agrees to this. Rolo wants to sign the contract, but remember, his hands are still cuffed, so he can't sign it. And you see MJF tell the security guards to unhook Warlow. You will see Sean Spears and Mark Sterling look at MJF and try to tell him, you don't want to do that. And MJF says, listen, I'm in my hometown. We're good. Trust me. So they unhook uh, Warlow from the handcuffs. Warlow signs the contract, and then you see MJF tell the security guards to hook him back up. The guards are about to hook up Warlow. Warlow just straight up destroy every security guard. Every security guard that was in the ring, Warlow destroys. He beats all of them up, and MGF is now hiding behind Sean Spears in a corner, and as Sean Spears is watching, Warlow beat up on all the security guards. Once security guards are out the way, you see Sean Spears standing there, and you see him looking at Warlow. MGF tells Sean to go after Warlow, he tries to with a chair, but Warlow just decks him in the face, and Sean Spears rolls out of the ring. So now the only two people in the ring are MJF and Warlow. MJF tries to calm Warlow down, but it didn't, that doesn't work. Warlow runs after MJF. MJF tries to leap out of the ring, but Warlow catches him. Warlow puts MJF between his legs as he's about to powerbomb him, but you, then you see Mark Sterling jump on the back of Warlow and try to apply a sleeper hold, MJF would escape out of the ring, and Warlow would flip Mark over 
off of him, then powerbomb Mark through a table in the middle of the ring. So again, this is building up to MJF going against Warlow at double or nothing, and I can't wait to see it. After this, we get our FTW Championship matchup. It's Ricky Starks, the champion, defending against one half of the AEW Tag Team Champions, Jungle Boy. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall thanks to an inverted interference by Swerve Strickland. Ricky was on the outside of the ring, and he went to the um, timekeeper's table and grabbed the FTW Championship. And you would see that he's about to try to go back into the ring, but Swerve would make his way down to the ring and get in the face of Starks. The referee will leave the ring, take the championship away from Starks, and tell Starks to get back in the ring. Once Starks got back in the ring, Jungle Boy would roll up Starks, and he would have won if the referee got back in the ring. Instead, the ref would argue with Swerve, telling him to go to the back area, while Swerve would tell the referee to go back into the ring and make the count. Jungle Boy would let go of the pin, look at the referee, look at Swerve, and ask what's going on out there. And once you, that happens, Ricky would kick Jungle Boy in the stomach and lift him up for the Rochambeau for the win. After the match, you see Luchasaurus and Christian make their way down to the ring. You see Christian shoulder check Swerve as he's making his way down. And they get in the ring, they check on Jungle Boy to see if he's alright. You see Powerhouse Hall pop out from nowhere, grab the FTW title, hand it over to Starks, and he's celebrating with Starks. And then you see Keith Lee walk down to check on Swerve to make sure he's good. And you see that all these teams are around, and this is giving you the smell of a triple threat tag team matchup at Double or Nothing for the AEW tag team titles, which that's going to happen. And before Jurassic Express, which is Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy left, you saw Jungle Boy just go over to the ring uh, ropes and just hang his head there, and he's so sad that he failed again. Christian walks over to him. Puts his hand on the shoulder, he hugs Jungle Boy, and then that's it. I see a Christian like turning on him. Because Christian doesn't deal with too many powders. Christian's always the pouty face guy. So I can see Christian turning on Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus at double or nothing and costing them the tag titles. After this, we would get uh Jericho Appreciation Society. They'll go out to the ring and they'll have their victory speech. Jericho mentions how they have systematically eliminated Santana, Ortiz, and Eddie Kingston. And so Jericho declares himself the winner of this little war that they had. And Jericho would tell Kingston that he needs to stay home and take care of his wife and all this other stuff. And then out of nowhere, you will hear John Moxley's music hit the arena. And I was happy to hear that music hit because I was thinking like, okay, what's going on? Is nobody else going to just stand up for Kingston? And I remember that Moxley is a friend of Kingston. So they played into the friendship card here. Moxley makes his way down to the ring. He's standing there, and you see Jericho tell Moxley, listen, you need to go back. You need to go somewhere before I send you on a sabbatical. And Jericho mentions how there's five against one, so what you going to do? Then you hear Daniel Bryan's music hit. Well, Bryan Danielson, I'm sorry. And Willie Yuta and William Riggle come down to the ring. So now Jericho mentions that that still isn't enough. It's five on four. So now you have the fans chanting for Kingston, Kingston, in which they would get Eddie Kingston. Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz will pop up from the other side of the ring. And now you have the Jericho Appreciation Society in the middle of the ring being surrounded by the Blackpool Combat Club and Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. And Kingston has a burn mark on his face. And the burn mark is reminiscent to Eddie Gilbert whenever he got thrown a fireball in his face. So I knew where he, Kingston was going for with this. Ultimately, Jericho Appreciation Society would be outnumbered 
they'll have a brawl here. Jericho's group will have to retreat. And they're having a little meeting between both of the groups next week on Dynamite. And I can tell you right now, we're going to get a blood and guts matchup at double or nothing. And if not double or nothing, probably like the Dynamite after double or nothing. But yeah, I if I were to place a bet, I'll probably say double or nothing because they really don't have much going on for double or nothing yet. The only matches that have been cleared are so far the uh, finals for both the men and the females on our tournament. The World Championship, the Women's Championship. Those are only four matches that have been clearly announced so far. Other than that, the Tag Team Titles Triple Threat match has been speculative by me. It has not been officially said yet. But if I were to place a betting man, I'll say double or nothing. You probably get blood and guts. After this, we would get an Owen Hart Foundation tournament qualifying, well, not qualifying, quarterfinals matchup, but this time's on the women's side. It's Tony Storm going against Jamie Hayter. Tony would win the match by pinfall when Tony would hit the Storm Zero, which is a quick pull-up pile driver on Jamie for the win. So now Tony Storm advances to the semifinals of the tournament. Good match between the both of the ladies. Uh, there's nothing bad for me to say on that. Now it's time for the main event. Owen Hart Foundation tournament qualifier, not qualifier, God, quarterfinals matchup. Darby Allen with Sting in his corner, going against Jeff Hardy with Matt Hardy in his corner, and this was an anything-goes matchup because both of these men are daredevils, and that's what we get out of this matchup. You would get some really, really death-defying moves in this matchup, if I'm going to be honest with you. You would get uh, Darby Allen setting up eight chairs on the outside of the ring, and you see Darby set up a ladder in the inside of the ring, and basically... Darby hits a swanton bomb on a standing Jeff Hardy, and they both crash through the eight standing steel chairs. You will see Jeff Hardy try to hit a swanton bomb on Darby Allen, who's laying on the steel steps, but Jeff Hardy will miss that, and Jeff will end up landing on the steel steps, and you will see Darby Allen basically roll Jeff into the ring, hit a uh, coffin drop on Jeff, pin him, but Jeff would reverse it with a reverse uh, crucifix and pin Darby Allen to win the match. So Jeff Hardy advances to the semifinals of the tournament, and it was announced that Jeff Hardy will be going against Adam Cole next week on Dynamite, and you see the Undisputed Elite come out after their matchup that uh, Darby and Jeff just had, and they stand on the ramp as you see the Hardys and Darby and Sting embrace in the ring, and that's how Dynamite ends. Dynamite was a good show. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling, and before I get into Impact Wrestling, uh, the show results, let me read you off the results from their pay-per-view that they had last Saturday under Siege. On the pay-per-view, you have Giselle Shaw defeating Madison Rain. You had Chris Saban defeating Steve Macklin. You had Taya Valkyrie retaining her AAA Reina de Reina's championship when she defeated Deanna Perrazzo. Deanna Perrazzo would attack Taya after the match, but Taya would get saved by a returning Mia Yim. And Mia would scare off Deanna Perrazzo, but Deanna would try to attack Mia from behind. But Mia would see that and attack Deanna Perrazzo and seeing Deanna to the back. So Mia Yim is an Impact Wrestling. After this, we would have an X Division Championship matchup. Ace Austin going against Trey Miguel. Ace Austin would win the match by pinfall when he hits the fold on Trey Miguel to retain the X Division Championship. After this, we had our 10-man matchup of Honor No More going against the Bullet Club. Honor No More would win the matchup, and now this is Honor No More's second biggest win in Impact Wrestling because they are 
they do their best work when there was multi-man matches. I don't know more always picks up the win in multi-man matches. If it's a standard like tag team or one-on-one, they don't do so well often. But in these big multi-man matches, they always do well and they always win the match. After this, we had Tasha Steeles defending her Impact Knockouts World Championship when she defeated Havoc by pinfall. Then we had the Impact World Tag Team Championship matchup where the Briscoes would defeat Violent by Design, who was represented by Eric Young and Diener, who with Joe Doring in their corner. The Briscoes are now the new Impact Wrestling World Tag Team Champions. And then you had Josh Alexander defending his Impact World Championship when he defeated Tomohiro Ishii by pinfall. So... Josh Alexander is still your Impact World Champion. And also, sidebar, in the pay-per-view, you had a returning Sammy Callahan attacking Moose in the middle of the ring. So, Sammy Callahan is back in Impact Wrestling after he broke his leg last year. So, Sammy is ready to go. Now, on to Impact Wrestling results. Uh, the first match of the night, we had an Ultimate X qualifying matchup. It is Kenny King going against Chris Bay. Kenny King would have been the match by pinfall when he hits the Royal Flush on Chris Bay for the win. The Royal Flush is basically he puts his opponent on his shoulder, then spin him around and hits a rock bottom. So that's the Royal Flush. Kenny King will now be going against Ace Austin and some more other competitors at Slammiversary in an Ultimate X match for the X Division Championship. After this, we have our Knockouts Tag Team Championship matchup of Giselle Shaw and Alicia Edwards going against the Influence, which is Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood. The Influence would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finish, the collab, which is a double forward Russian leg sweep on Alicia for the win. The Influence would win the match because they are a better tag team. They've been teaming for some good couple of months or even a year now, while Giselle and Alicia is just a put together team so obviously they were not going to win the better the team has been teaming up for so long is going to win the match so that was already a given after this we had gail kim in the ring for an announcement gail kim would announce that at slammiversary for the first time ever it will be a queen of the mountains match and for people that don't know and impact wrestling there's a match called king of the mountain in that match you have five competitors usually and the objective of the match is to basically first you got to pin your opponent and then you got to grab the championship and climb up the ladder and basically hang it above the ring that's the only way you will win the match and basically be the champion so as anniversary we're gonna have all female version of this and the competitors for the matchup are as followed tasha steals because she's the impact knockouts champion chelsea green jordan grace Deanna Perrazzo, and before Gail could say the last participant, Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans would make their way down to the ring. Tasha would tell Gail that Gail has it out for her and that Gail is trying every which way to take the knockouts title from her. Tasha would say that Savannah Evans is going to be the fifth competitor, but Gail would nix that idea and tell her that all the competitors in the match would have already held the knockouts championship so Savannah hasn't done that, so that's the reason why Savannah isn't in the match. Gail will tell Tasha that the fifth competitor is going to be Mia Yim. Tasha doesn't like that idea, and now you see Tasha and Savannah start crowding Gail and trying to intimidate her, but Mia Yim would run down to the ring and save Gail and attack both Tasha and Savannah. Mia would hold her own and even get the better of both of the ladies until Deanna Perrazzo attacks Mia from behind. And now we have a 3-on-1 beatdown until Taya Valkyrie and Jordan Grace get in the ring and save Mia. 
now you see Grace and Taya beat up on the three other ladies and then send them retreating, leaving Taya, Grace, and Mia Yim standing tall in the ring. And it was announced that next week on Impact, it will be a six-woman knockouts tag team match. It will be Tasha Steeles teaming up with Savannah Evans and Deanna Praza going against Mia Yim, Taya Valkyrie, and Jordan Grace. After this, we had a tag team matchup. It is Jay White and El Fantasma of Bullet Club going against the Impact World Champion Josh Alexander and the Pit Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. Josh Alexander and Ishii would win the match by pinfall when Ishii and Josh would hit Fantasma with a headbutt, a spinning torture rack slam, a sliding lariat, and finally a brainbuster for the win. Solid tag match between both of these two teams. And then you get your main event, Gauntlet for the Gold, where the winner of the match will be facing Josh Alexander at Slammiversary for the Impact World Championship. The rules for the Gauntlet for the Gold were as follows. There'll be two men starting the matchup, and after two minutes, another participant will come into the ring, and the only way you get eliminated is by getting thrown over the ropes. And then when it's down to the final two men, the two men will be competing in a one-on-one standard wrestling matchup, so the only way you can win that is by pinfall or submission. The last two men in the match were Eric Young and Chris Saban. Eric Young would win the match when he hits Chris Saban with a pile driver, then cover him for the win, and now he is going to be going against Josh Alexander at Slammiversary for the Impact World Championship. Impact was a solid episode i suggest people watch it you're not going to be disappointed in it as a matter of fact i think impact has been like trying to up their production quality because if you look at last week's stage compared to this week's stage they got more screens up there they got a better walkways like connected to the ring it's probably because how the arena is like shaped and designed out that they could probably add more stuff in but their design quality is starting to get better. Their production quality is getting better. Their in-ring work has always been fine. It's just that a lot of people don't cover it. So I would suggest people start watching Impact. It's a good product. And next week on Impact Wrestling, we do know that Matt Taven and Mike Bennett of Honor No More will be going against the good brothers of the Bullet Club. And we will get another Ultimate X qualifying matchup. And it will be Mike Bailey going against Laredo Kid, And the Impact... Tag Team Championships will be on the line as the newly crowned champions. The Briscoe Brothers will be going against Violent by Design's own Joe Doring and Diener this time. So I suggest people turn in to Impact next week. But this episode was fine. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with an RK Bro in-ring promo. RK Bro are here on SmackDown because they are wanting to become the unified tag team champions. So they call out Roman Reigns down to the ring because they say that the Usos can't do nothing without Roman Reigns say so. So that's the reason why they're calling Roman to come out here to get the answer from him. Instead of Roman coming out, we get Sami Zayn, who comes out wearing a Bloodline t-shirt, which was odd. Sami comes out and questions RK-Bro on who they think they are, why are they here, and Sammy says that nobody wants to see the matchup for the Unified Tag Team Championships and that RK-Bro doesn't want that match because if they get that match, they will lose their championships. Sammy suggests them to leave with their championships and don't come back. Just stay at Raw. Randy asks Sammy, is he's Roman's errand boy or something? Sammy says no. He doesn't have a title, but he takes care of things 
for Roman Reigns and warns them that they shouldn't talk bad about Roman because the last guy that did that was Nakamura and Sammy took care of him last week. Randy starts playing up to Sammy's ego and starts bigging him up, saying that Sammy has some stroke, he's a shot caller, and that he can get things done by looking at what he did to Nakamura last week, so he commends him on that. So Randy starts playing into his ego, and Randy suggests that Sammy can go and basically make the match for them and say that, well, I have an idea. If you go against Riddle, and if Riddle wins the matchup, they will get a tag title match against the Usos for the Unified Tag Team Championships. The fans and RK-Bro are chanting for Sammy to agree. Sammy eats up the adulation and he lets it get played to his ego and he says, okay, fine. But he says that will have to happen next week because he has to run things up the flagpole, talk to Roman Reigns, talk to Paul Heyman. Adam Pearce will come out on the stage and tell Sammy that Sammy can't make matches for the Usos, but he does agree that he can be wrestling Riddle, and as a matter of fact, he will wrestle Riddle right now. So we get Sami Zayn versus Riddle, who has Randy Orton in his corner, but it is not for the stipulation that Randy wanted earlier. This is a regular plain old one-on-one matchup. Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Riddle would hit the bro Derek for the win. The bro Derek is a tombstone uh, front forward slam, so that happens. After this, you will get Ronda Rousey come down to the ring. For an in-ring promo, you see them play a video of Ronda making Charlotte say I quit at Backlash for Ronda to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Ronda does give props to Charlotte for their match at Backlash, but says that she would have rather die than say I quit. So Ronda does what every new champion does in WWE, if you're a good guy. She issues an open challenge. She says that she will be a fighting champion. And she challenges anybody to come down to the ring to challenge her for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Raquel Rodriguez will come down to the ring and answer the challenge. So now we got a SmackDown Women's Championship matchup between the champion Ronda Rousey and Raquel Rodriguez. Ronda would win the match by pinfall when Raquel had Ronda up for a powerbomb. But Ronda was able to reverse it and roll up Raquel and also hook the leg during the pin to secure the win. And after the match, you will see Ronda and Raquel shake hands. This was a real uh, dominating match for Raquel against Ronda. To be honest with you, I thought we were going to get a 50-50 style matchup. But no, about a good 80% of the match was Raquel dominating Ronda Rousey throughout the whole thing. You saw her dominate in the beginning and in the middle. Now, towards the end, you saw Ronda was able to get some shots off on Raquel. But... Ronda was still able to win the match, but Raquel did let it be known that she is a future uh, women's champion on the main roster. She was already NXT champion, but this is solidifying her future on the main roster as a future world champion. This is what this match basically did for her. After this, we had Madcap Moss coming down to the ring for an in-ring interview. Moss would be out here talking about beating up Corbin at Backlash and says that his biggest win of his career so far was that against Corbin and Moss begins to talk about his future in the WWE. Moss mentions that he wants to form a mixed tag team with Sasha Banks so they call themselves Madcap Boss. He wants to win the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match and before he could continue on listing things that he wants to do, you will see 
Corbin attack Moss in the back with a steel chair and start laying on Moss's back with a chair multiple times with shots. And then you would see Moss lay down in the ring. Corbin get out of the ring, grab the Andre the Giant trophy, bring it back in the ring. Corbin would then put Moss's head in between uh, the chair and then lift up the Andre the Giant trophy and drop it on the chair's uh, leg and basically try to snap the chair in between uh, Moss's chest and his throat. So Moss's, well, that happens. And Moss is there just freaking out. He's trying to get the chair off of him, and he's in pain. You see backstage officials. You see referees coming down to the ring to help Moss. And you see Corbin laughing at the destruction that he did to Moss. You then see paramedics come down to the ring with a stretcher. They put Moss on the stretcher, and he gets stretchered out. They put him on the ambulance, and he gets sent off to the hospital. So Moss is probably going to be off television for probably a week two weeks, three weeks at tops. That's how SmackDown, well, not SmackDown, that's how WWE usually works with this type of uh, nature of this because they're going to need Moss on their uh, television. So I say I give the length probably three weeks. We probably won't see Moss on television. That's just my uh, parameter where I think we're going with that. After this, we get a WWE Women's Tag Team Championship matchup. The challengers, Natalia and Shayna Baszler, will be going against the champions, Naomi and Sasha Banks. Sasha and Naomi would win the match by pinfall, when Natalia would try to lock in the sharpshooter, but Naomi would grab Natalia and roll her up for the win, so Naomi and Sasha retain their women's tag team championships. Solid matchup here. Natalia had a busy week, because remember earlier in the week, she went against Cora Jade on NXT. She got the win there, but... On SmackDown, she was the one to eat the loss, so I don't know what's the relationship between Natalia and Baszler going to look like on uh, next week's Friday. But Natalia had a solid week, and I'm glad to see Naomi and Sasha to still retain the Women's Tag Team Championships. I'm hoping that they get a nice lengthy reign, and whenever they do lose the belts, they at least will have some credibilities uh, on their titles to give the people that beat them because those tag team titles don't have a lot of credibility on them. They don't, and those belts don't look bad, but it's just that the people that always carry the titles, they never get put into like any type of massive storyline that the fans can sink their teeth into. So hopefully with Naomi being a fan favorite and Sasha Banks being the incredible competitor that she is and the fans love her and hate her from time to time, I hope that they get a nice, good storyline that people will actually get to sink their teeth into to care about those tag titles. After that match, you would get Kofi Kingston with Xavier Woods in his corner going against Butch, formerly known as Pete Dunne, with Sheamus and Rich Holland in his corner. Butch would win the match by pinfall when Kofi gets distracted by Sheamus beating up on Woods on the outside of the ring, and Butch would hit the bitter end for the win. After this, we would get the main event segment. The bloodline would come down to the ring. Roman mentions how usually... He would always get the microphone and tell everybody what's next for him in the bloodline. And he recalled how on Sundays they, he would beat up somebody. And then when he comes back to Friday nights, they will have somebody new to go against. And he recalls when he beat up John Cena, he had Brock Lesnar. When he beat up Brock Lesnar, there was nobody else. So Roman mentions how he has nothing left to do, uh, 
nobody wants to go against him. Nobody wants to step up to the mountain. But the Usos, on the other hand, they have a challenge for Mark K. Bro. And Roman asks Jimmy, what do you guys say? So he hands Jimmy the microphone. And before Jimmy could even say anything, RK Bro will come down to the ring. RK Bro will get in the ring and they will start chastising the Usos and also Roman Reigns at the exact same time. And it's basically the same thing. What do you guys say? You guys have no uh, guts. You guys need Roman's permission. What do you guys say about the unified tag team title matchup? Yes or no? Jimmy answers. He agrees to it. So he gives the mic to Jay, but Jay tells him, we're not going to do it tonight. We're going to do it next week. So it gets clarified that next week on SmackDown, we will get the unification tag team match that we were supposed to get at WrestleMania Backlash. It will be the Usos going against RK Bro. Once Jay gets the mic to Jimmy, Jimmy lets RK Bro know that next week after they beat them, the Usos will have two sets of titles. And Roman Reigns will have two sets of titles, meaning that the bloodline will have all the gold. Roman will lift up both of his championships. And then you see Riddle hit Roman in the face with a knee strike. And then RK Bro will quickly leave out of the ring as the Usos try to grab him. But RK Bro was just too quick on the trigger and left the ring quickly. So we leave SmackDown with the Usos looking at Roman to make sure he's all right while RK Bro sinks in the moment of Riddle basically getting the upper hand on the bloodline. And that's how SmackDown ends. SmackDown was a nice, solid watch. The main thing about it is that we get our matchup uh, confirmed for next week on SmackDown. And also, this kind of tells you that Roman more than less is going to play a part into it because Roman's not going to let that knee strike to the face just, like, go. So Roman's more than less going to help the Usos next week become the unified uh, tag team champions. But we'll have to see if that happens next week on SmackDown. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a six-man tag team matchup. Death Triangle going against Butcher, The Blade, and Mark Quinn. And they have the bunny in their corner. Death Triangle will win the match by pinfall when Phoenix and Penta will hit the Fear Factor which is a package pile driver, and Phoenix will hit a double uh, foot stomp on Quinn. And then you see Pac tag himself in and hit the Black Arrow, which is a twisting corkscrew splash from the top turnbuckle onto Quinn for the win. After the match, the lights will go out, and once the lights pop right back on, the House of Black were on the ring apron looking at the death triangle. And you will see Malachi mouth the words, it's time, and the lights will go out, and once it pops right back on, the House of Black would disappear, and Death Triangle is just standing there looking confused. So we're still in the rivalry of Death Triangle and the House of Black. I'm hoping that we get a nice, good six-man out of them so we can end this rivalry because the House of Black needs to be doing something else. Malachi has been uh, doing his thing, but they haven't been using Malachi and the House of Black at all like they should be doing. And the same thing with Death Triangle, too. They've been using them, and Phoenix just came back. Phoenix is in the Owen Hart tournament. And he'll be going against uh, Kyle O'Reilly on next week's episode of Dynamite. And they still haven't used Death Triangle all the way to their full potential. So I'm hoping after this rivalry between the two teams get done, we get to see both of these uh, stables, this units, go off to bigger and better things. After this matchup, we would get Sean Spears going against Bear Boulder, one half of Bear Country. 
Spears would win the match by pinfall when Spears would hit the C4, which is a fireman's carry driver, or better known as Death Valley driver on the independence, for the win. After the match, Spears would grab a steel chair and start beating up on Boulder with it, and then he would look to the camera and call Warlow out, saying that the giant killer cometh. So this warns everybody that Spears is looking to beat up on Warlow, and that's within another two weeks because he has a steel cage match against Warlow two weeks from now, and MGF is going to be the referee. After this, we will have our Owen Hart Foundation Tournament Women's Qualifier, not Qualifier, quarterfinals matchup between Riho and Ruby Soho. Ruby would win the match by pinfall when Ruby would hit a twisting neck breaker on Riho for the win. So Ruby advances to the semifinals. After this, we would get Jade and the baddies who are Red Velvet and Kiera Hogan making their way down to the ring with Mark Sterling for their in-ring interview with Tony Schiavone. Red Velvet is told who her opponent is going to be next week on Rampage since Hukaru Shida isn't medically cleared because Hukaru Shida got beat up by Serena Deed in their street fight and the medical team for AEW won't clear her. So now Red Velvet has to go against somebody differently. And it ends up being Chris Statlander. So Red Velvet is going to be going against Chris Statlander next week on Rampage. And by the way, Rampage starts off again at a different time, an earlier time. They don't tell you the time. They say, look at your cable providers for whenever they're going to put Rampage up. So just let it be known again. Next week's episode of Rampage will be at a different time. It will not be at uh, 10 o'clock. And now it's time for the main event of Rampage for the TNT Championship, Scorpio Sky going against Kazarian. Scorpio Sky told Ethan Page and Dan Lambert that he wanted to do this by himself because him and Frankie have some history. He wanted to do this by himself. They reluctantly agree to it, and we get uh, Scorpio Sky versus Kazarian for the TNT Championship. And Sammy Guevara, by the way, was at, well, he was in the crowd at ringside watching the matchup, Scorpio Sky would win the match by pinfall thanks to some help from Dan Lambert and Ethan Page. Towards the end of the matchup, you saw Kazarian lock in the cross-faced chicken wing on Sky. Sky would try to reverse out of it, but fail, and then you see Sky start to faint. But the referee doesn't see this because Dan Lambert will run down to the ring and get on the ring apron to distract the referee so Ethan could run into the ring with the TNT title and hit Kaz with it, and an unconscious Sky would fall on Kazarian. The referee would make the count, but Kaz would kick out of it. And then you see Sky get up and hit the TKO on Kazarian and then cover him for the win. After the match, Ethan Page and Dan Lambert would get into the ring and celebrate with Sky. Sky would get the TNT title, extend his hand out to Kaz. Kaz would smack the hand away from Sky, and Sky would look confused and ask Kazarian, What's up? Cast tell Sky what happened and Cast start looking at Sky and Sky starts questioning, like, you serious? That's what happened? And Sky goes over to Dan Lambert and Ethan Page. They try to play it off. And Sky's really pushing at him and asking, like, did you guys do what Kazarian said? Did you guys do it? And Ethan Page grabs a microphone and furiously just shouts at Sky that, yeah, I did it. I hit him and I did it for the team. Whose team are you on? And now you see Sky get in the face of Ethan, and it looks like he's about to hit him. But Sky turns over and looks at Kaz quickly and hits him with the TNT title and leaves out Kazarian. 
You see Sky and Ethan Page beat up on Cass. Dan Lambert gets the microphone and says he loves it when a plan comes together. So this was all planned out for them to beat up on Cass and Sky to basically turn on his friend. And you see Sammy Guevara uh, leap over the barricade and try to help out Kazarian. But Sky and Ethan and Dan Lambert would leave the ring and they would hightail it up the ramp so the men of the year and Dan Lambert are still a unit and it seems to me that they're trying to do something with Sammy Guevara but the fans still are not too pleased with Sammy so I don't know what we're doing with that situation they should just make Sammy into the new uh PG not PG but the politically correct version of Edge in the situation again Sammy has that face Sammy has that cockiness that he could pull it off it's just that they just got to pull the trigger on it, and I'm hoping that they do do it. But Rampage went in with Sammy holding up the TNT title as Scorpio Sky and the Page shout that they want the belt back. So we'll have to see what happens next week. Rampage was a nice episode to watch. It was only an hour, so I can't really say nothing bad about it. There is nothing to say bad about it. I thought they were going to break up men of the year when you saw Ethan and Sky getting face-to-face. I was hoping that they didn't. So I'm glad the men of the year are still still together to be honest with you yeah before i get you guys out of here i just want to relate one thing to you guys uh on the wrestlemania backlash uh pay-per-view review that i did monday i talked about roman reigns because roman reigns uh last saturday he was at a live event show and he talked at uh the live event show and commented to them that hey i'm in a new phase of my life and i don't know if i'm still gonna be here and he wanted to thank the people that was going to be there. Roman Reigns knew that that was going to be around. So the conversation got leaked out that Roman Reigns' contract was going to be up and that we don't know if Roman's still going to be around for WWE. Is he going to go to Hollywood? Whatever. Well, I just want to let you guys know from Bleacher Report, Roman Reigns' multi-year contract extension officially announced by WWE as it's been written up. WWE has confirmed reports from earlier this week that Roman Reigns has signed a new contract to remain with the company. Per the official announcement from WWE, the Big Dog received a multi-year deal. Pro Wrestling Sheets Ryan Satin first reported Reigns' extension Tuesday, noting it was expected to keep him with WWE for at least a few more years, but the exact length of the deal wasn't known. It's also unclear how much Reigns will earn on his new deal. He was WWE's third Highest paid superstar in 2018 with earnings of $4.3 million per Forbes. It seems unlikely Reigns will end up leaving WWE, blah, blah, blah. They go about that. But point being, Reigns is going to be around at WWE longer. So I'm happy that Reigns is going to be around personally as a fan. The question is, what do we do? Because it seems to me that Reigns is not going to be at Hell in a Cell. They showed a photo of the poster before Hell in a Cell. Well, before Reigns' uh, contract got signed, it had Reigns and other superstars, but Reigns was in the focal point, the middle guy. But after his contract got signed, you see that he's not in the middle. Cody Rhodes is there. So it seems, and it was speculated all around on the internet, that Reigns is not going to be at Hell in a Cell. If he's not, that's fine. We can always do without Reigns on Hell in a Cell. Because last year, he wasn't at Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. It didn't have him on that pay-per-view at all. Everybody was fine. So I can see Roman missing this one out and him popping back up at uh, Money in the Bank for a match with whoever it is. So I'm cool with Roman missing out on Hell in a Cell. So I 
questioned what are they going to do with Roman Reigns for all this time at Backlash after the thing. I threw out all these things, build up superstars, all that type of stuff. They still should, but they have enough time now to build up superstars now because, again, I still think that he's going to go against uh, The Rock at WrestleMania next year's WrestleMania, and I do think he's not going to do it for the championship. I think he's going to lose that those championships before he gets to The Rock. I just want to know who is it going to be. It seems to me that it's going to be Drew because they did uh, on SmackDown, they did uh, promote their event that they're going to have in Cardiff, Wales in September. And it had Drew McIntyre holding up the sword with other uh, superstars faces on it. And opposite side, you had Roman Reigns standing there. So you see that they're trying to hype up Drew going against Roman at that event. And I can see them giving Drew the win at that event and giving him the championships there. So we got enough time and that's in September. So we got enough time for them to do something with that there. So I hope that they know what they're doing with Roman after the fact. Again, I want to see a mad tribal chief. I want to see a mad, like pissed off dude. Cause Roman has that ability. Cause we only saw him be like a crazed maniac. Like one time in his, uh, well, technically twice. When he went against Jay and he was being the loving, manipulative cousin to Jay by beating him up time in and time out and saying that I love you, but he acted crazed out when he did it. And also the second time that we saw him being crazed whenever he would uh on his on the build up to him going against Brian Lesnar at WrestleMania, you would see him have his little uh moments in the ring and he'll just be crazy. He'll just talk normal one moment, and then he'll just get real intensified, and he'll just lose his composure. We haven't seen Roman completely lose his composure all the way yet, and I'm hoping to see that soon down the line, and I see Roman doing that. But anyway, Roman has signed a new contract with WWE, and I just want to mention this one thing. It's crazy how now athletes, professional wrestlers, are freely talking about their contracts. If you kind of get what I'm about to lead off here because at a point there would be no contract talks on television there would be no contract talks at these uh live event shows there would never be any of these contract talks but now it just seems that the wrestlers are just cool with talking about their contracts on social media they're cool with talking about it on television they're cool with talking about it at live events I mean it's different so whenever I hear the wrestlers talking about my contract is going to be up here or uh, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It always sets my alarm off in my head. Like, okay, I wonder, do the company know you're going to say this, one? And if two, if they do, they should have a plan in play for if you're going to stay here or if you're not going to be here. It's just weird to me as a viewer just watching. It makes it interesting because it makes me want to constantly know what you're going to do. It makes me want to constantly know what the business is going to do with you. So. I mean, that's a plus for you and the business, but it's just weird. It's just something I got to, like, look at more into because I never really paid attention to contract signings and contract deals until, like, it was reported, like, okay, somebody's no longer here with WWE or whatever company anymore, or uh, they got fired or the contract expired, whatever. I never really paid attention to contracts until that type of stuff happens. Uh, It's just weird. 
But I'm going to just keep a hold on to that and just look at it. And also, it's weird how all these other wrestlers are just letting their contracts expire and not re-signing. Because I remember at a point that they would never do that. There was a point that the wrestlers would just sign the uh, contracts and just re-up on their contracts. And the reason why I mention that is because Willie Mack, he's no longer with Impact. They tried to get him to re-sign. He didn't want to. So now he's on the independents doing his thing. Candice LeRae, the wife of Johnny Gargano, she is no longer with WWE. She let her contract uh, run its course. So now she's home with Johnny Gargano and their child, and she'll do whatever she wants to do. Uh, Earlier in the year, we had Cesaro, Claudio Castagnoli, as he's known on Independence. He uh, let his contract expire. He didn't want to re-up. We just had Malcolm Bivens get fired from WWE, but he already told them point blank, yo, I don't want to re-sign. Dakota Kai, she got fired from WWE, but she already let WWE know that, Ayo, I don't want to re-sign. It was weird that you getting all these... It's weird. Because, again, I'm telling you, I remember a time where superstars, the wrestlers, whatever you want to call them, they would re-sign with the company that they're at just to maintain a uh, a job, maintain a check, keep on coming in. And... They wouldn't go nowhere. It would just be like, that's my place. This is where I'm staying at. Ta-da. I'm glad that the superstars are now taking the control back in their hands and say, you know what? I don't like you here. I don't want to be here. Or they do the high road and say, you know what? I've had enough time here. I appreciate my time here. I just don't want to resign no more. I just want to see what I can do out there. And that's another thing. That's why I'm glad to see that from the superstars. I'm not saying it's a bad thing when I mention that. I'm saying it as a good thing because, you know what? They've taken control back into their hands and they are the makers of their own destiny. If they want to re-sign and stay with the company, they can do that. Or if they want to just leave the company, they can do that as well. It's just that you don't always have to re-sign or stay with a company anymore. You can actually just bet on yourself and just go about your way. And I'm happy that the wrestlers get to do that. Whether you want to stay with the company or not, you don't have to... uh, be against the will of a company because you're afraid to go out there and test yourself. You can easily go out there and go on the independence or do hop on shows from time to time and just be a, a pop appearance. You can do whatever you want and you're going to still make money. So that's a good thing for all these wrestlers out here that have notoriety that they can do that. Let me make sure you have an understanding of that because not everybody can do that. If you have a name, if you're good in the ring, if you have those connections, you can do that. But if you don't, it's going to be a little bit more harder for you. But it still can't be done. You just got to put a lot more effort into it than the people that don't have to do that. But that's just stuff that I've been noticing with the people talking about their contracts, their contracts being up and they're not renewing it. I just wanted to throw that out there. I am paying attention and I am looking at these types of things. So I do have my hand in the water of... uh my hand and head into the water of looking at people's contracts and uh, seeing what they're going to do and if they're going to resign or not. Now, with that being said, let me get you guys out of here. You can always reach me on my Twitter at my two podcast, uh, Instagram, my two cents podcast G2, or you can email me at my two cents pod at yahoo.com. Uh, I have a Sunday episode coming up tomorrow. It's called Crime. I hope you guys check that out. If not, hey, you guys can always check me out next Saturday for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be careful on the roads. People drive out here 
reckless i want you guys to be safe and please just have a great saturday i do love every single one of you guys i'm glad you guys did tune into the episode i know this is kind of a longer version of the episode uh it's just that certain things happened this week that i just had to talk about it and certain things i just want to elaborate more in detail um with that being said i love you all hope you guys have a great saturday this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he's i and i him i love you all i want you guys to have a great saturday and kanye can you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus wept.